Angie's List is now Angie, and we've heard a lot of theories about why. I thought it was an eco-move. Fewer words, less paper. No, it was so you could say it faster. No, it's to be more iconic. Must be a tech thing. But those aren't quite right. It's because now you can compare upfront prices, book a service instantly, and even get your project handled from start to finish. Sounds easy. It is, and it makes us so much more than just a list. Get started at Angie.com. That's A-N-G-I. Or download the app today. Hey, friends. Thanks for joining our podcast. I want to tell you about something really new and exciting called Patreon.com slash BP Show. It's a great way to get uh, exclusive interviews with newsmakers, voicemails, personalized videos, political commentary, and early access to a special podcast called The Making of Bernie Sanders. Go to patreon.com slash BP show, patreon.com slash BP show. Everything you need to fight the Trump administration. This is the Bill Press Show, live at youtube.com slash the Bill Press Show. Donald Trump tells business leaders you can't quit. Because I just canceled the damn council before you could leave it. Oh man, they are deserting this sinking ship like rats off the Titanic. Hello, everybody. What do you say? Good morning, good morning. Good to see you. Hello, hello, on a Thursday, August 17, uh, the Bill Press Show. Good to have you with us today with a whole lot of uh, big news events to uh, talk about. Uh, continuing uh, reverberations over the incidents in Charleston last, uh, Charlottesville last weekend. Not Charleston, Peter. Charlottesville last weekend. And um, the reaction to the same and the president getting in more and more hot water and digging and digging in. This morning he is tweeting out saying... The media misrepresented what I said about neo-Nazis and the KKK and white supremacists. No, we didn't, Mr. President. We just played your entire news conference live on cable TV and then on some of the networks, and the entire nation got to hear you word for word, unfiltered, unleashed, and totally unhinged. We'll bring it all to you, whatever the news is, from uh, Washington, D.C., from around the country, around the globe. Look forward to hearing from you. Remember, you are such an important part of the show. Whatever you have to say about the news of the day, as important as anything we have to say. So send us your comments on Twitter, at BP Show. With all of our guests today, the news of the day, we will get right to it. But first... This is the Full Court Press. All right, just a couple of other stories making news. But you might have noticed, when you go to sporting events these days... You have uh, better options, more options of things that you can eat. And that's no exception in the new Mercedes-Benz Stadium. I love this story. In Atlanta, where they have put in a new restaurant, Chick-fil-A. Now, you know Chick-fil-A. Yeah, yeah. Now, I don't watch the NFL, but I do know that NFL games are played on Sunday. (laughs) Chick-fil-A is notorious for being closed on Sunday, without exception. For the big Christian chicken store. That's right. right. So that will not change in the new stadium. They're going to have a Chick-fil-A inside of the stadium, but seven of the eight home games the Atlanta <laughs> Falcons play at their stadium are on a Sunday. <laughs> so Idiots. They have eight home Idiots. games. I hope they seven lose. of them are on Sunday. 
nobody's going to be able to go to Chick-fil-A. <laughs> I hope they lose their shirt. Like, Sounds like they what are. What are you thinking? You know, I got to say, the Christians, you would think the one exception they might make is for football. For football. Right? God, right. family, and football. Yeah. Well, like, I, you know, a couple of weeks or months ago, we They're went idiots. to we went to Hershey Park in Pennsylvania. We went on a Sunday, and there's a Chick-fil-A inside the park. And it's closed. Like, they close it with, like, there there is not a Chick-fil-A anywhere in America that's open on a Sunday that they won't let them ha- open yeah, up. Right. So that they open one up in a football stadium with football is played on a Sunday, it's going to be a problem. I love it. Seven out of the eight games are on a Sunday. So one game, one game Chick-fil-A will be able to serve. Yeah. But this whole tradition, right, uh, that you uh, used to be when I was little, right, that Sunday was a special day and you yeah, couldn't yeah, yeah. do anything on Sunday. I That's mean, silly. It. That's it's totally silly. Totally silly. It's nothing in the Bible about that. Yeah, God rested on the seventh day. That doesn't mean Chick-fil-A can't be open on the seventh God day. God would have eaten a Chick-fil-A sandwich on, on the day of rest. Damn straight. Mm-hmm. I think he'd have gotten his hands on one. Uh, so we talked a lot about white supremacy and neo-Nazis uh, this week, which is not something we were necessarily expected to talk about. But this is really, I think, fascinating. There were still 37 bands on Spotify that were categorized as white supremacists or Nazi-related bands. Uh, the Southern Poverty Law Center identified 37 bands that were still on Spotify. You can listen to their music, hate punk. I don't know what I don't want to know what their music sounds like. It's pretty violent, both in style and rhetoric. God but damn, Spotify, goddamn Nazi marching bands. Sp- Spotify suspended all of those bands, took all of them off of uh, all of the uh, streaming music uh, platforms. So you don't have to worry about that. Oh, wait till Donald Trump finds out about that. That's right. These are going to there's some very fine bands. On your radio, on TV, and online. This is the Bill Press Show. He's at it again this morning, tweeting out against fellow Republicans Jeff Flake and Lindsey Graham. So far this morning, you know he hasn't taken on Mitch McConnell yet again today. <laughs> but this is—he's got time. Yeah, this is Donald Trump's uh, new practice: attacking his uh, fellow Republicans. Yes, the way you make friends and influence people. And get things done in the United States Congress in the world of Donald Trump, which explains why he hasn't accomplished one damn thing since he's been president. Hello, everybody, except getting Neil Gorsuch on the Supreme Court. And that uh, you can thank Mitch McConnell or blame Mitch McConnell. Nothing. Donald Trump had nothing to do with it. Hello, hello. The Bill Press Show. Thursday, August 17. Great to see you today. Thank you so much for joining us. It's good to have you with us. As we bounce around the globe with all the hot news stories of the day, starting out right here in Washington, D.C., our nation's capital and our studio on Capitol Hill, the great eastern market uh, section of Washington, D.C., just down the street from the United States Capitol building and the Supreme Court and the Library of Congress, right in the heart of the action and about five metro stops away from the White House. We'll tell you what's going on here at Trump Tower at Bedminster, New Jersey, around the country and around the globe. And we'll bring it to you on YouTube, youtube.com slash The Bill Press Show. You got it. Thank you for joining us on YouTube. Thanks for watching on Free Speech TV, by the way, nationwide. And uh, out in Chicago, we love you. Thanks for uh, welcoming us to the great Chicago area on the progressive voice of Chicago, WCPT. I just want to point out, by the way, because yes, we, we had some people who were uh, complaining that they couldn't watch the whole show live. 
on YouTube. But we put the whole show up live on YouTube. If you want to watch it, we also have the podcast, as you mentioned. But why but, can't they? Well, they're just not. They're just not awake for it. They so they don't oh, wake up early oh. enough to watch the whole thing. But we put the whole thing up on our YouTube channel, yeah. YouTube.com/slash yeah. The Bill Press Show. Not only do we put the whole show up, but we cut out little snippets from the show. So, like yesterday, uh, we had a great conversation with Van Newkirk. Uh, from the Atlantic, all about Charlottesville. We snipped that and put it up on our YouTube page. So you go watch little snippets from the show, or you can watch the whole show anytime you want. Is we that put the podcast? Up there. It's different from the podcast. Different That's from YouTube. The po- okay. That's yeah. YouTube. That's right. And then the podcast is. It's a whole separate thing. Yeah. Just on iTunes, look for Bill Press Show. In iTunes, we put the whole show up if you want to listen or take it with you. Uh, or you can go to our website, BillPressShow.com. But, you know, again, it happened to me yesterday that I get this all the time. People say, well, where can I find you? And it's, it's just sort of like throws me because the answer is we're everywhere. We're everywhere, baby. We're everywhere. We're everywhere you want to be. And I always tell them, there's so many ways you can watch, you can listen to, you can follow the show, participate in the show. You know, um, you, you, you take, your, take your pick. You got your choice. Right. You can't find us. You're not trying hard enough. <laughs> there you go. Yes, indeed. So the top stories of the day, Donald Trump disbanding uh, the business council yesterday before uh, – uh, <clears throat> while there was still somebody left on it to disband, right, exactly. Uh, at this point, uh, Donald Trump has still, while he has praised uh, the um, alt-right, praised the neo-Nazis and the skinheads and the white supremacists, and said they're just very fine people over there on that side. Mm-hmm. Yep. And uh, they're bad people on both sides, and they, they, don't, they, they shouldn't get all the blame. He's gone out of his way to praise them. He hasn't had time yet to... Uh, Call the mayor of Charlottesville, and no time yet to call the mayor of Heather, or the mother of Heather Heyer, either, who did such an incredible job at that memorial service. Very, very moving yesterday. Uh, things are a little shaky, so shaky in the Trump administration that uh, uh, Mike Pence is coming home early. They, uh, they told him, you better get back from South America, dude. Yeah. Uh, we may need you to step in because this guy is so out of control. Uh, he could just spin out, you know. Any time, I think. They thought, Mike, uh, <clears throat> you better get closer to home here, baby. Uh, so he is coming home a day early, coming home today. And President George H.W. Bush and President George W. Bush, you know they couldn't stand what they heard a president of the United States saying about white supremacists in Charlottesville. And those two former Republican presidents issued a statement yesterday not mentioning Donald Trump by name, but making it uh, very, very clear that they disagreed with everything the man has said. Uh, all of those stories, uh, Andrew Desiderio is coming in from the Daily Beast, a political reporter. Our first guest today, Justin Sink, our good friend who covers the White House for Bloomberg Politics, will be along as well. And then the new CEO of the Democratic National Committee, Jess O'Connell, the DNC, has a new a campaign called Rise and Organize, which uh, she'll tell us all about a little bit later. Yeah, the business guys, let's just start there for one thing, because it was so funny yesterday. You know, every day this week, um, well, starting on actually um, Wednesday, Tuesday, late Tuesday, but we talked about it first on Wednesday, when uh, Ken Frazier was the first CEO from the Manufacturers Council, he is the CEO of Merck Pharma, uh, resigned from the council in protest over the president's words uh, and his failure to condemn strongly enough uh, the white supremacists uh, who, who organized that 
a violent rally, a riot in uh, Charlottesville. Uh, he not only did not condemn them strongly enough, he equated what they were doing with those people who were simply there saying no racism is wrong. Uh, so Ken Frazier resigned. He was followed up by the head of Intel, um, by the head of Under Armour, uh, finally by the head of the AFL-CIO and his lieutenant. And yesterday, uh, the remaining CEOs on that council were on a conference call, and so many of them said that they were thinking of doing the same thing that one of them, I forget the guy's name, who was the one friend of Donald Trump on the group, called Trump and said, <clears throat> hey, we got a problem in Houston. Uh, Houston, we got a problem here, yeah. and you better get ready because they are gonna, they're going to be deserting this thing like rats on the sinking ship. And before they could even make that announcement, Donald Trump uh, headed them off at the pass. He tweeted out, um, rather than put them through the pressure of having to decide whether or not to stay on the Manufacturing Council, I am disbanding the Manufacturing Council that <laughs> and, and one other council. He just shut them all down. You know, it reminded me of the guy, the, the classic thing about, and it's happened to me, where you know you're going to get fired, right? And you, before they fire you, you, you announce, no, you can't fire me because I quit. I quit. I just quit. That's right. <laughs> Donald Trump said, no, you can't resign from the council because I just abolished the there council. There is no council. There is no council. <laughs> but again, you, you know, here you go. These are the titans of American industry. These are the leaders of American industry. Uh, who built this economy and is keeping it strong today, these are the people who welcomed Donald Trump as one of their own. I mean, they weren't really totally comfortable with him, but they figured, what the hell? He's a businessman. He's a CEO. He's one of us. Okay, you know, an erratic candidate. Yeah, said some crazy things. But once he's president, he's going to settle down. He's going to run it like a business. He's going to consult us. It's going to be... Okay, now they know, and they've known for a while, and they've been getting more and more uneasy and restless. They know uh, it ain't going to be okay. It's never going to be okay, even with new chief of staff John Kelly in there. Uh, and yesterday, the business—pardon <coughs> me—the business community. Now think about it. this: is these are the people Donald Trump's going to need for tax reform, right? Yeah. These no. are the people he's going to need for the debt ceiling. These are people he's going to need for anything, really, that he wants to do in this Congress, and he has alienated all of them. But, like, you know, this is so, so perfectly encapsulates what the problem is with Trump, right? Because Yeah, he's Trump. He's Trump. He's, Trump. <laughs> he's a giant diaper baby. Like, he cannot just take, like, a, like, what might be an inconvenient reality for him and move on. So, like... On that point about the business stuff, Trump care, repealing Obamacare, whatever, it seems to be dying off, right? Like that, we're just like moving on from it. He took a colossal L, and we're going to move forward from it, and that's fine. Democrats got their victory on that, it looks like, and and we're going to slowly move forward. So it's time for him to reset the narrative. He has a brand new opportunity to do something that, like, yeah, makes right. it look at least look like he knows what the hell he's doing, and he's talked about taxes, like you said, and getting that getting that done, and he's pissing off everybody that's there to help him. And one of the big arguments for Trump during the election is 
This guy is not a politician. He's not going to do politics the way that you're used to saying. He's not going to make friends with a lot of politicians and 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 you know play into the whole you know swamp narrative. But he's a businessman, right? He's yeah. a businessman. Yeah. He can get things done, and he has completely taken a dump on everything that he could do right. Right. He could have knocked this out of the park. Well, it's the one thing that we knew that he might actually be good at. It, right. Business. Right. right. And, and like, even even people who are hesitant to say that they're not on Trump's side, they'll say, like, look, this guy's run a business. He knows how to deal with business leaders. He had that business leader roundtable. He brought in a lot of business people at the beginning of his uh, yeah, uh, yeah, uh, of right. his term. And now look at what he's done. They well, all hate him. Nobody that runs a business wants to tie themselves to him. That's because he was not a good businessman. No, that was the not. biggest myth. You know, what is it, four or five bankruptcies? I don't know how many casinos went belly up. Um, we don't know actually, how much he's worth or how much he made right. or how much he owes right. to Russian banks <laughs> uh, because he won't release his terms. So the whole myth that he was this colossally successful businessman was phony uh, to begin with. But I want to say this about these business leaders. Good for them. They showed a lot of backbone. They showed a lot of courage. And what a contrast between them and Republican politicians who still... After the Access Hollywood tape, bad enough. Even after this, yeah, they'll be critical of Donald Trump, maybe. Some of them are critical, including two presidents, Bush, without mentioning his name. Several members of Congress are critical of the comments without mentioning the president's name. But they, but, but what we haven't seen from them, from these politicians... And I think we need to see before we take them seriously is what we saw from the business leaders, which was saying this was so bad. This was so un-American that I will not stand with this man any longer. And we haven't heard that from Paul Ryan. We haven't heard that from Mitch McConnell. We haven't heard that even. Pardon me. You you have to you, you have like I said this the other day, there's been a line drawn with Trump's comments. You're either with Trump or you are against Trump. And Trump's comments make it very, very clear that he, I'll be generous, I'll be generous and say he does not understand the the situation with white supremacists and neo-Nazis and racism in this country. That's that's generous. That that's is, best that, case scenario that is that he generous. doesn't understand. But I was just saying, we haven't even heard that from the critics, uh, the, uh, the, the, the strongest critics, like John McCain or Lindsey Graham uh, or Cory Gardner or whomever, uh, even Ted Cruz, they still stand with Donald Trump. Excuse me, Mike Pence. And now, oh, I was just going to get to Mike Pence. Yeah. Mike Pence yesterday, quote, yeah. I stand with the president. Here's Mike Pence down in South America on his way back. I spoke at length about this heartbreaking situation on Sunday night in Columbia. And I stand with the president, and I stand by those words. I stand with the president. Unbelievable. What a coward. What a a total, total coward. And you know what? What a fool as well. Exactly. I mean, ridiculous. Um, And so I'm looking for that courage. I'm looking for that uh, independence on the Republican side. Uh, I'm not sure we're ever going to see it. You're not going to find it. No. If, If this wasn't enough, I don't know what was enough. And just to show you exactly 
And Trump is tweeting this morning saying, oh, everybody misunderstood what I said. No, we didn't. We listened. We watched that entire news conference. We know word for word what he said. He said there are good people and bad people on both sides. He said there are very fine people among those white supremacists. He said that the blame should be on both sides, that both sides were very violent, that both sides went there for the purpose of stirring up trouble, uh, and that tearing, Donald Trump said this, reflecting, echoing what he had heard on Fox News, Donald Trump said that tearing down the statue of uh, Robert E. Lee is the same as tearing down any statue to George Washington. Now, where did that come from? Well, maybe we know. Uh, this is uh, the, the most shocking thing that I found uh, uh, since we've been together yesterday. The president's attorney here in town, who's representing him in the Russian investigation, an attorney by the name of John Dowd. So he gets an email yesterday uh, from some white supremacist. Uh, and what does he do with this email? He forwards it, sends it out. He the president's attorney, remember who he speaks for, whom he represents, he sends it out to about a d- two dozen recipients, including people at the Department of Homeland Security, including the Wall Street Journal, God. including Fox News and the Washington Times. And somebody happened to send a copy to the New York Times, not Mr. Dowd. Here's what the email says that he forwarded, quote, this is, this is what they believe. You cannot be against General Lee and be for General Washington. There literally is no difference between the two men. That's a quote. That's a, That's quote. a quote. There is literally no, no difference, difference between the two men. He goes on to say, quote, <laughs> both rebelled against the ruling government. Uh... Both Saved America. Oh, my God. Now, you know what? I'm not an American historian. I love American history. I love this country. I've read a lot of it, okay? Uh, But I could ask my second-grade grandchildren the difference between Robert E. Lee and George Washington. I think they would get it. I mean, the idea that you equate, okay, we know George Washington owned slaves. We also know he freed them all at his death. We know Thomas Jefferson owned slaves. But these were imperfect men who worked together to form an imperfect union, which is our great country still today, where we put slavery behind us. And Robert E. Lee is a man who came along less than 100 years later who said, no, we want slavery to continue and we will destroy this country. He didn't rebel against a tyranny. He rebelled against a country that was moving in the direction of equality for all Americans. And he didn't want that. And he, yeah, George Washington, the father of our country, Robert E. Lee wanted to be the father of another country. And if he'd succeeded, there would be another country where they would still have slaves today. Yeah, I mean, how can you equate the two, literally there is no difference between the two. There's a world of difference between the two. But this is something, by the way, so this has been around since the days of the Civil War. 
back in the Civil War days, if you know your history, that's what they said. That's how they justified. They said, we're no different than what the uh, John Adams and the Boston Tea Party people did. Yeah, they rebelled against uh, an unjust and tyrannical government, the British king, right? So we're just doing the same thing. We're rebelling against the United States of America. Yeah. Basically, you know what they're not saying is, is, is that Robert E. Lee and Abraham Lincoln are one and the same people. Because obviously it was Robert E. Lee yeah. uh, and Abraham Lincoln trying to save the Union and Robert E. Lee trying to destroy it. But So that little, that kind of analogy or that mythology, right, or nothing that this is the new second American revolution as a way they've been trying to justify the Civil War from the very, very beginning. And Donald Trump is doing it today. Like, I... It's, Unbelievable. Hearing these arguments about slavery and the Confederacy <laughs> and sort of what it meant to America is not new. I've heard this for a long, long time. There was a huge yeah. fight in South Carolina when I was first starting in radio about the Confederate flag that flew over the state capitol in South Carolina. They, they, they flew a Confederate flag and had for years, and they finally took it down. Well, you not, know. not that long ago. No, 15 years ago. Yeah. Like about 15 years ago. The flag flew on top of the state capitol. Yeah. And so, I, like, I've heard a lot of arguments that this is heritage and not hate, and there are a lot of people whose family fought for the Confederacy in the Civil War. And, like, look, I, it's a complicated issue. It really is a complicated issue. And I am somewhat sympathetic to some people who say, like, this is where I came from. and this is, But, like, when you get to a point where you are rewriting American history and you are trying to whitewash what the Confederacy stood for, right? There are still people who will go to the mat to argue the Confederacy was there purely to fight for states' rights and had nothing right. to do with slavery. Yeah. That is yeah. 100% total bull crap. Yep. It's just not true. So, like, we can have that argument about who you are and where you came from and what the Confederacy means to you. I'm not going to have that argument with Donald Trump. This guy has no ties whatsoever to this other than the fact that he also hates black people. Like, there, there's, no, there's nothing that ties him to this movement. There's nothing that ties him to that history. He's now, just fighting I, it for the sake of fighting it. And I understand, too. This is part of our history that we cannot yeah, ignore. I, we cannot deny. And, by the way, in, there are certain places, right, where I think a statue of Robert E. Lee is appropriate. Look, there's— He's a, He is an historical figure. You cannot escape that. But most of these monuments, and you know this, Peter, where they were erected yeah. and when they were put up, they were put up not as a monument to a historical figure. They were put up as a glorification of white supremacy. Yeah. That's what they were. Yeah, and a, and and a, and a, and a way to try and, and rewrite history to say that the Confederacy was a much more noble effort than it actually was. And, you know, I, I've talked about this before. In the South, it's a weird thing, and I, I, I have a love-hate relationship with it. They put things in your face and make you confront them in the South. Like, you know, downtown Charleston, you go to Market Street. It's a thriving business area. <clears throat> it's a really great place to walk around, and then all of a sudden it will hit you that you are on Market Street because that was the slave market. That's oh, yeah. where they sold and auctioned off slaves. Yeah. Yeah. And yeah. there's something about being there and, and like, using that as a moment to tell people this is who we are and this is where we came from. And uh, by the way, I wish they did more of that in Charleston. I love. I, Charleston, no, I, I you know. agree. Like and I, think I have that been that's there, important. and I've been in that market, and I found myself 
buying little trinkets. Yeah. Or buying hot sauce. Yeah. Or buying a T-shirt. Yeah. And realizing. Just as easily as people bought slaves there. Oh, Jesus. Yeah. Right? Yeah. Right. There should be some more, I think, signs or presents or people there talking about it. Yeah. Yeah. Again, not tear it down, but right. no. Make the point that this is this is what the history is. It's not a we tried to build a better <laughs> union. We tried to improve on what George Washington did. They were trying to form a new government that they could own slaves in. The I haven't been to Berlin, um, but one of the news shows I watched last night. Um, somebody's talking about you know this, this dealing with our history. Yeah, that if you go to Berlin, you know they don't. Try to wipe away, wipe out any any signs of the Holocaust or whatever happened there. They want you to know about it yeah. because they want you to know they recognize it and they are ashamed of it yeah. and they denounce it. And don't forget and that said, it happened. Yes, and they said almost every building in Berlin, you'll see a little plaque saying, "This is where the Jewish family boom 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 lived, wow. who were taken and rounded up and taken boom boom boom." And they have these reminders there because. They're living with their history, right? Yeah. They're not trying to say, well, by the way, there weren't as many people killed as you thought in the Holocaust, right? <laughs> right. And actually, the Holocaust, there were some very fine people that worked in the camps. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> this is what Donald Trump is trying to say, right? Oh, you know, some of those prison guards, uh, yeah, oh, yeah. And some of those KKK mobs, uh, the lynching mobs down the South, or the ones today, there are some very fine people very in there. Fine people. Don't think they're all bad. No. That's, that's, that's. It, there is no moral compass at all in this White House because I think in the presidency we've got a man who has no moral fiber, no soul. I'll tell you, we saw somebody with soul yesterday, and that is a Susan Bro, Susan Bro, the mother of Heather Heyer at the memorial service God. yesterday. Oh my God, oh my God. right. Um, Heather Heyer must be so proud of her mom and you can tell where Heather Heyer's spirit, everybody said she's a real fighter. She's a, she's a paralegal who really believed in causes and really went out there and put herself on the line, uh, which she was doing. Uh, then Again, just standing up saying racism is wrong. White supremacy is wrong. That's what she was doing in Charlottesville, for which Donald Trump says she was no better than the guy driving the car. That's Donald Trump's message. Here's Susan Bro. I'd rather have my child, but by golly, if I got to give her up, we're going to make it count. Got choke up just hearing that again. Yeah, uh, and um, again, Susan Bro, uh, her voice will still be heard. We don't all have to die. We don't all have to sacrifice our lives. They tried to kill my child to shut her up. Well, guess what? You just magnified her. Yeah, <laughs> uh, gotta love her, right? Mm. Boy, with a, with a with a spirit like that, I have a feeling we might be hearing more about more from Susan Bro <laughs> down the road. Uh, she's not going to go away either. Indeed. Well, with uh, all having made uh, so many enemies uh, in the uh, in, among Republicans in Congress and among the world's business, uh, the country's business leaders. Where does Donald Trump now to turn to uh, support on issues like the debt ceiling coming up uh, and or Obamacare subsidies? Andrew Desiderio, congressional reporter from the Daily Beast, stepping up next here on The Bill Press Show. 
Have all of our elites lost their moral authority? Or are they afraid to find out that the answer might be yes? Download our podcast, search for The Bill Press Show on iTunes, and remember to rate, review, and subscribe. This is The Bill Press Show. Same great show, new great channel. Stream live video at youtube.com slash the Bill Press Show. Yes, indeed. Here we go. On Thursday, August 17, how about it? The Bill Press Show. Live from our nation's capital, reaching out to you coast to coast with all the uh, news of the day, especially the political news of the day, and the continuing fallout and backlash uh, to uh, Donald Trump's comments on uh, events in Charlottesville uh, last weekend. We're brought to you today by the American Federation of Teachers. Boy, there's a uh, learning lesson there for sure. Um, the great teachers of America gearing up to get back in the classroom here pretty soon, within a week or so in uh, many states, many cities, uh, all under the leadership of President Randy Weingarten. We salute the great members of the AFT and thank them for the support of the uh, program. Uh, covering Congress for the Daily Beast, Andrew Desiderio joining us uh, in studio, one of the... Um, few people like us left in Washington these <laughs> days. Everybody else has fled town. That's right. Hey, Andrew, good to see you. Good to see you, too. So um, the president has been up early and uh, uh, tweeting about uh, some of these uh, members of Congress that you carry, particularly on the Republican side. This morning, his targets are uh, Lindsey Graham so far and uh, Jeff Flake. Being... I'll read a couple of them really quickly. He yep. started out this morning, public publicity-seeking Lindsey Graham, which is... <laughs> For Donald Trump to call somebody else publicity-seeking uh, yes, right. is r- uh, remarkable. Mm-hmm. Uh, publicity-seeking Lindsey Graham falsely stated, I said there is no moral equivalency between the KKK, neo-Nazis, and white supremacists, and people like Ms. Heyer. Such a disgusting lie. He just can't forget his election trouncing the people of South Carolina will remember. I... I like I forgot, I was thinking to myself, like, what's he talking about? Lindsey Graham won re-election. I forgot Lindsey Graham ran for president. Yeah, right. Uh, he also moments. By the way, Donald Trump did say that there's no difference between. Yeah, of course he did. One side or the other no, side. That's not a lie. They were both the same. Uh, he goes on to say the public is learning even more so how dishonest the fake news is. They totally misrepresent what I say about hate, bigotry, etc. Shame. And then says, great to see that Dr. Kelly Ward is running against Flake Jeff Flake, who is, all caps, weak on borders, crime, and not and a non-factor in Senate. He's toxic. So original. Yeah. Our president, so original. So smart. Flake is Jeff Flake. Is that what we're calling senators now? Flake Jeff Flake. Yeah. McConnell, Mitch McConnell. <laughs> So he's going to be <laughs> running candidates, supporting candidates against incumbent Republican senators? Like I said, this is something that is going to make Mitch McConnell's head roll, and they are already going at it with each other. Mitch McConnell is in this to support not only his incumbents, but also grow the Republican majority. Tearing down incumbent Republicans does nothing to help maintain or even grow the Republican majority. With Jeff Flake... Uh, he's going to, or President Trump is going to be in Phoenix on Tuesday for a rally. Right. And he's rumored to be, uh, you know, about to endorse one of Flake's primary challengers. Well, this is Kelly Ward, I guess. Right. Yeah. And he tweeted about Kelly Ward. There's the state treasurer, Jeff DeWitt, who he could also throw his support behind. Um, so we'll see what happens. But this is definitely something that Mitch McConnell is waking up to this morning and just shaking his head. Uh, and <laughs> 
Um, Which, by the way, with, you know what was yeah. remarkable is at the at the uh, presser, not, it wasn't officially a presser, but the statement where he was talking about, where he made the comments about Charlottesville, that was supposed to be about infrastructure. Yeah. And Elaine Chow, Mitch McConnell's wife, yes, was standing, right standing there right next. next to him. Yep. Like, after all the things he said about Mitch McConnell and where they are now and how much I assume that those guys don't really love each other. She had to go out there and stand next to him, and he humiliated. He lived. Yeah, he humiliated. Yeah. I, you know, and I, if I were Mitch McConnell, I'd really be pissed off at that. I would too. forcing my wife, you know, in a, to stand there in a situation like that, and then holding the cue card basically. Well, for this him is too. a pattern for him because you have these, you know, weeks that the White House dubs infrastructure week or oh, oh no. Made in America <laughs> week or something like that. Yeah, and then their own boss, the president undercuts them every time because he extends the shelf life of a controversy of his own making. Right. You know? This was supposed so, to be, this was Infrastructure Week, right? right? Yeah. Wasn't this Infrastructure it was, Week? Well, we had Infrastructure Week, I think, no, that was last a, week. Oh, yeah, no, yeah, yeah, what, no. what was this week? This week was something. I forget, but that so, a supposed news conference that was just going to be a statement He wasn't on supposed to take questions. Right. He wasn't supposed Not to take supposed, questions. It was, <laughs> just, he was just supposed to make his statement, about hold infrastructure. up his props and stuff, and yep, then just and then leave. walk away. Right. <laughs> but he went in. He had that speech in his pocket. He 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 went in for the purpose. He knew what he was doing. Yep. Yeah. Uh, so back to these Republicans in Congress. You know, some of them have been mildly critical, um, but some of them have been critical without mentioning Donald Trump by name. Mm-hmm. And there does seem still, even those who have been critical, a hesitancy, pardon me, to really break with Trump. We haven't seen any of them certainly break with him the way the business members of the business council mm-hmm. did break with him. They said, no, we're out of here. We're, we can't stand with this guy any longer. Just one little, I uh, want to get your comments, but one little insight to that is that yesterday on Fox News and on NBC, um, both Shep Smith on Fox News and Chuck Todd on NBC saying they tried to get Republicans to come in and talk about this. Mm-hmm. Uh, here's Shep Smith. One. Our booking team, and they're good, uh, reached out to Republicans of all stripes across the country today. <clears throat> Let's be honest, uh, Republicans often don't really mind coming on Fox News Channel. Uh, We couldn't get anyone to come and defend him here because we thought, in balance, someone should do that. Uh, We worked very hard at it throughout the day, and we were unsuccessful. Uh, Chip Smith is the greatest, by the way. He is a national treasure. He is so good. I love it. And uh, Chuck Todd. Full stop. Yeah, full (laughs) stop. Thank you, Chuck. Thank you. you. Thank you, Chuck. We invited every single Republican senator on this program tonight. All 52. We asked roughly a dozen House Republicans, including a bunch of committee chairs. And we asked roughly a half dozen former Republican elected officials, and none of them agreed to discuss this issue with us today. So who's going to step up? The president has lost his moral authority for now. And in the process, he's tried to destroy or discredit everyone else's. Have all of our elites lost their moral authority? Or are they afraid to be yes? Woo. Yeah. Damn. What's going on with these guys? Why are they afraid to just break with Donald Trump and say, so, something that they could very easily do, well, maybe not very easily, is they could censure the president. That's done very. That's yeah. been done very few times in American <clears throat> history, but that would represent sort of a formal rebuke, a formal condemnation. Right now, you don't have much appetite in Congress to do that. Nobody have, is. No, that's a very good point. But nobody has even suggested that. Right, exactly. Are but they, that is something that they could theoretically they could do. do. Um, what I'm hearing from a lot of folks is they need to sort of get a big-ticket legislative item done before February 
because if you wait until after February to do something, Congress is basically not going to be here because they'll be back home running for re-election. Oh, I'm glad they pushed the deadline back till February now. It was before the August recess, right? And then it was uh, before uh, the end of the, before, I guess, I don't know, the fall break, and the, before mm-hmm. the end of the year. Now it's before February. And this is if, if they want something to run on and, and to tout yeah. for yeah. the midterm elections to right. maintain their majorities or even grow them. Right. So. And so they're going to accept anything that Donald Trump does uh, as the a price. A lot of them are they, biting their tongues, but yes. As the price they will pay for getting a major legislative thing done. Yep. Before February. Pretty much. I, what I've heard is is that a lot of Republicans Chickens. want to be done with Trump. They want they desperately want to, but cannot figure out how to do that. Now, as I mentioned, there are of but, course many things they could do. Many <laughs> things they could come out and do. One of them is a censure, of course. Um, but well, you know, I think what's phony to that whole argument is that they can get anything done with Trump. What has he shown so far about his ability to get anything done? I mean, uh, let's, let's from accept, their point of view, he has yeah, the pen. That's it. Yeah, but let's accept Neil Gorsuch is on the Supreme Court. Mm-hmm. All right. Okay, fine. That was a big deal. Thank you, Mitch McConnell. Don't mm-hmm. thank you, Donald Trump. Right. right. But that was a big deal. But other than that, mm-hmm. where's where, where the major accomplishment? Right? And uh, another thing I've been hearing I mean, from Republicans is when they go home to their districts and they tout things like, Oh, we sign into law VA accountability or other like minor things. What the what the Republican base is doing is basically shaking their heads at them, like, no, like this is like Nothing. this is not something that, no. that we sent you to Washington to do. Like, yes, it's good, but it doesn't look good when the things you're touting are things like that rather than the, the big ticket. And by the way, in terms items. of his political clout, didn't we see in Alabama this week um that, you know, he may be more bluster, right, than than reality in terms of so he he, he there's an incumbent U.S. senator mm-hmm. this one he did support Big Luther Big Luther Strange Big Luther right and uh, Roy Moore trounces him I was covering that race this week and it was fascinating because this is a deep red state that Trump won by almost thirty points over Hillary Clinton right that you have that to begin with you have Roy Moore as the person who got forty percent of the vote and is heading to the runoff. Uh, He's someone who is, uh, you know, he was suspended from the court, uh, the Alabama Supreme Court, for not enforcing, yeah, once for not enforcing (laughs) the same-sex marriage ruling Mm -hmm. in 2015, and a second time in 2003 for not removing the Ten Commandments statue from his court building in Montgomery, Alabama. So you have a guy like him who got 40%. You have the McConnell-backed, the Trump-backed candidate, the incumbent Luther Strange, getting 32% of the vote. With all the McConnell-backed money from the Senate Leadership Fund and Trump's endorsement, which is huge in a state like Alabama. Trump's endorsement doesn't really matter in many states anymore. It matters in a handful of states. Alabama is one of them. I, I, I was in Alabama not, a couple of weeks ago. I know you like Alabama is still very much Trump country. Yeah. Like there are mm-hmm. a lot of people who are having some buyer's remorse, I think, about Donald Trump. Alabama, they aren't one of them. Yeah, and conservatives in Alabama were really sort of reeling from Trump's endorsement of Luther Strange because in their view, he, Trump, of all people, caved to the establishment. <laughs> the, the, the Washington, D.C. swamp got the best of Donald uh... Trump, in other words, right? So they're still trying to tout their, in this race, tout their credentials as being as close to Donald Trump as possible, right, because of the state that they're running in. Um, 
but they also are sort of rebuking Trump for having endorsed the establishment back candidate. So my question now is, in Alabama, is Trump the establishment? <laughs> Which is a bizarre question to ask. That really so, is, yeah. Isn't it? Could Roy Moore win? I think it's going to be tough. Uh, because he's got he's got forty percent he's starting with he's definitely starting with an advantage. The only problem is he doesn't have any national influencers, conservative influencers, really behind him to help grow his base. Right? He has a core enthusiastic base of supporters. I don't know. There's a lot of people in Charlottesville that would support him. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> they, all, they all moved down to Alabama. So you have someone like Roy Moore who's starting with an advantage, but the conventional <coughs> wisdom is that Luther Strange can take in a lot of the voters who voted for non-Roy Moore people. So maybe once we get to the um, the uh, <laughs> the runoff next month, you'll yeah. see a sort of never more movement, almost like oh. you saw a never Trump movement among Republicans in the state who don't want Roy Moore to represent them, right? And you had really, really low turnout in Alabama, 20, 25% on Tuesday, mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. It's usually around 30, 35% in Republican yeah. primaries yeah. there. That helped Roy Moore because his enthusiastic base was gonna turn out for him no matter what. That's what helps helped suppress the vote for Luther Strange and Mo Brooks. Mo Brooks came in third. He had right. Sean Hannity. He had Laura Ingram. He had Mark Levin. He had Ann Coulter. All these influential conservative media types who were picking the, the candidate that the president did not pick. Right. Fascinating race. Wow. It really is. And the runoff is when? Uh, September 26th. And then the generals after that. Another point I'll make, oh. Oh. Another point I'll make about the, the runoff is that if Roy Moore wins this thing, Democrats are going to get more and more optimistic that they could pick up Alabama. Is there a Democratic candidate? Yes, Doug Jones. Okay. He won the primary uh, for them. Uh, Who is he? He By is he is a, a state state political figure. Uh, mm -hmm. You know, I mean, I, I was covering the Republican side, yeah, so yeah. you know, the Democrats in Alabama don't have much of an organization. <laughs> Um, it would be sort of a miracle if a Democrat were to be elected to Jeff Sessions' old seat in Alabama. Oh, my God, would that but be delicious? But I've talked to a lot of Democrats who are quietly optimistic that if Roy Moore is the Republican candidate, you're going to see a lot of Republicans, aside from Roy Moore's core base, stay home in the general election, and that gives Democrats an opening to try to you know, boost Jones. Um, by the way, just a little tangent. Uh, I haven't done this myself lately, but... Um, Maybe 10 years ago, um, I interviewed Roy Moore on C-SPAN. Whoa, really? Really? Yeah. It's probably the most contentious interview in the history of C-SPAN. Uh, he, <laughs> he had a new book out, and this was for C-SPAN 2, the book channel. Okay. And I, they asked me to read the book and to interview him about the book. And I got into the uh, Ten Commandments stuff. The, the, you know, I'm, oh, man, he didn't want to talk about it. He was, he, he, he was really... Uh, Ugly, and um, and I just didn't back down. Anyhow, uh, I mean, he was removed from the court over yeah, that, so he yeah, felt strongly right. about it. Yeah, he did. So I, I just check it out. Check it out. It's out there somewhere. Uh, I just found it. Uh, really, it's up. Okay. Oh hell yeah! That was quick. <laughs> hell yeah! Yeah, there you go, man. We'll revisit it later in the segment. Oh, uh, thank you. Um, so Andrew, um, what's going on with Obamacare? Um. You know, the president can't let it go. Like just the other day when somebody asked him about John McCain, he said, oh, that John McCain, you mean the one who, because of his vote, we don't have da-da-da-da-da. So, mm -hmm. you know, he he's still not happy with the fact that he, 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 he you know, he really stepped in it on the Obamacare. A big, huge, humiliating loss for him. And so he says, all right, uh, I'm going to get even. I'll just get rid of these subsidies. I'm going to take away the subsidies from you, members of Congress, and from the American people. 
now it seems he's flipped on that again, right? Right. So, so the CBO released a report this week that said if, if the president were to end those payments, they're called cost-sharing reduction payments, which are subsidies that go to insurance companies and to poorer Americans to help offset insurance costs. If he were to end those, premiums would spike by 20 25% over the next couple of years. Yeah. Uh, and you would also see a lot of lot more insurers exit the market, which is has been a problem with Obamacare that we've seen. And so it would add all this new money to the deficit, too. Yes, a lot it more would money. do that, too. Um, I forget, so but an enormous amount to the It deficit. would basically exacerbate these issues we've already seen that are sort of structural yeah. with Obamacare. Um, but yesterday, the White House sort of quietly uh, confirmed to me and a bunch of other reporters that they were going to make these payments for August. Uh, now, this is something that Republican senators have been encouraging the president to do. Uh, Lamar Alexander, the chairman of the mm -hmm. powerful Senate Health Committee, uh, said that uh, said yesterday that he's going to urge the president to continue these subsidies through 2018, uh, mm. which was pretty remarkable. And his committee is, of course, holding bipartisan hearings Gee, next week. I wonder why through 2018. Right? Yeah. Yeah, because well, they don't want the thing to collapse and, and, and blow up in their face right. during the re-election year. Senator Tom Carper of Delaware told me, uh, he said, we have an old saying in, in Delaware. It's uh, if you break it, you own it. Something along the lines of that, he told me. So if the president, you know, goes with his stated strategy of trying to let Obamacare implode, trying to sabotage it, um, you know, he's going to be responsible for the consequences, essentially, not the Democrats. Um, that's what Senator Carper was warning. But all of this is really remarkable because it's a tacit admission from Senate Republicans, not just Lamar Alexander, but other powerful Republicans who wanted Trump to keep making these payments as a market yeah. stabilization me uh, measure. It is really remarkable that this is basically a tacit uh, admission from the Republicans that Obamacare is, for now, at the very least, the law of the land, uh, which is you know something that Trump is not willing to grapple with, obviously, and, and they're not giving up yet. But And, and that it's working, um, that it's serving a lot of people. A lot of people are benefiting from it. I'm not saying they're willing to say this, but that's, that's what it means. Yeah, they're certainly not and going that And that the far. worst thing they could do is to pull the plug and let everything collapse, which, of course, is what Donald Trump says he's wanted to do, right? And let's let's let it implode. Let's let it, and then blame the Democrats for it. And they, they they're they're saying that that's the worst thing they could do because then they repeal, replace it with nothing, pull the plug. They're gonna they are gonna own it. And repealing or you know get, getting rid of the CSRs would be the first step towards that, right. essentially. So, so so far the decision has been made only for one month. For August, Alexander wanted it through September in order to buy yeah, Congress yeah. enough time because, of course, they don't come back till next month. Um, but they're aiming to have a bipartisan agreement in place on a long-term market stabilization me measure by mid-September. That's just right. another thing they have on the docket for September, which is going to be crazy. That, uh, and there's been a group in the House as well, right? I forget the problem-solving caucus or something like yeah, that. Yeah, a they? group of moderate Republicans and Democrats that came up with a, a similar plan. It's right. not getting so, much traction, though. Yeah. So I but, wouldn't expect in, it to come up again. But in the Senate... Uh, there's a, 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 a very serious bipartisan effort to come up with a market solution to keeping Obama, fixing Obamacare, right. as opposed to repealing. And it took a lot to get Republicans to the table on this. So, right. Uh, meantime, when does the debt ceiling hit? And I mean, I keep hearing, you know, it's a moving target. That's another thing. So the debt ceiling is going to be hit on September 29th. <laughs> the government runs out of money the next day. Uh -huh. um, so. Congress has essentially 12 legislative days to work with when they come back in September to not only raise the debt ceiling, they need to reauthorize the FAA, uh, the Children's Health Insurance Program, a bunch of other programs that are going to expire at the end of September. 
um, and Republicans and a lot of Democrats. Can I, can I interrupt are, you just yeah, a second? Yeah, of course. This is August 17, right? Yeah. And the deadline is September 29. And you said they only have 12 days to get this they done? They have 12 legislative days in September to get this done. They were trying. <laughs> I just, I just they, want to point out, we're talking, right? Yeah. The administration was has been urging a, a clean debt ceiling hike, right, which is not something we've heard from Republicans in the past. That's interesting by itself. Yes. But they wanted no a conditions. clean. Right. No strings attached. They wanted a clean debt ceiling to be attached to the, the VA bill that I mentioned before, which, you know, House leadership was not really going to go along with that. And it's already been passed by both houses of Congress and signed into law by the president. So what they're going to try to do, based on what I'm hearing, is that they're going to try to find another legislative vehicle by which to attach a clean debt ceiling hike to, a non-controversial bipartisan legislative vehicle that members would vote for regardless. But we have the Freedom Caucus, we have the Republican Study Caucus, which has said that they're not going to take any type of clean debt hike uh, at, at the end of September, and they want at least modest spending cuts to go along with it. Their argument is we have a unified Republican government, House, Senate, the presidency. Why shouldn't we try to get something we want, which is modest spending cuts? I would push back against that, the idea that we have a unified Republican government. Yeah. It's more like a coalition parliamentary government, I would say, because of all the factions you have among the Republican Party right now and the lack of agreement on thing, easy things, supposedly easy things like raising the debt ceiling. Uh, I should have asked you this when we were talking about health care, but just to just to kind of button that up, there are still some people, and Donald Trump is one of them, who want them to go back and take another whack at repeal and replace. Yep. Are there enough of them to resurrect it? Well, right now and they is have... Mitch McConnell among that number? So Mitch McConnell has said that he's told the president that we don't have the votes for this, right, and we need to move on. Um, again, another tacit admission from them that Obamacare is, at least for now, the law of the land. Um, we um, we are seeing a lot of, uh, I guess I wouldn't say a lot of momentum, but uh, a new push for the the, Ga the Cassidy-Graham legislation that would block grant money to the states that could pick up some steam. Um, but as of right now, they have 49 votes and they need 50. Something that's been floated, I believe Bloomberg reported this a couple weeks ago, was the idea of... Uh, Trump appointing Joe Manchin of West Virginia oh, yeah, right. to energy secretary and allowing the Republican governor there, he's now a Republican, to um, yeah. to appoint Manchin's replacement, which would give Republicans 53 senators instead of 52, and possibly that one vote that can get them over the 50-vote threshold. Um, that's been floated as a possibility, um, but that would certainly get them to the point they want to be on repeal and replace. But then um, John McCain would become a Democrat, so that would just cancel <laughs> Uh, cancel that out. Uh, Jamie is signaling here. I just do you want some of the Roy Moore? Oh yeah, I, I actually do want to hear some of this. I don't know. I don't, have a ton of I don't time, know. I don't just do really quick. So you're arguing uh, whether or not uh, there's any basis of God in the Constitution, and uh, oh. here is Roy Moore trying to read what you're reading. By the United States Senate, and the first sentence says, "As the government of the United States is not in any sense founded on the Christian religion." And it goes on. Yeah, on it goes there. on. And what he goes on is more I'll read important. the rest of it, but okay. I, you know, I'm just saying. Well, let me read it. No, I'll read it. <laughs> <laughs> Shut up, Roy. I'm talking, Roy. There, there are a lot of great moments in there, but on the fly, I, I wanted to play that. It, you can look online. Roy Moore, who, of course, we mentioned earlier in the segment, I'll running go, for Alabama Senate. I'll go on and read it. No, I'll read it, Roy. <laughs> um, 
But you can, why don't you send out the link? Yeah, yeah, I yeah, just, yeah, yeah. I'll tweet I just, it out. Yeah, tweet that out. I just MVP remember show. tweet it out. I just remember afterwards that uh, Brian Lamb said, like, oh, my God. <laughs> <laughs> this is very un-C-SPAN-y. The C-SPAN archives are a goldmine sometimes, Totally. Oh, yeah. Totally. Yeah. No, no, no. They really are. Um, so uh, we just have about a minute left, but what the hell ever happened to tax reform? <laughs> Well, that's supposedly another thing that's on the agenda. Oh, yeah, um, they're going to squeeze that in, right? Yeah, yeah. and uh-huh. yeah. to suggest that tax reform is going to be any easier than health care, I think, is incredibly naive. <laughs> it is a very heavy lift. If you think there are divisions in the Republican Party on health care, yeah. tax reform is a whole other animal. Right. Um, they've been saying they're aiming to get, get something uh, maybe drafted by October. I'm very skeptical. Yeah, yeah. But, of course, if you ask Donald Trump, he says, oh, we're making great progress, right? Everybody's coming together. We're going to have a big bill, big signing ceremony, the whole thing. Yeah. Not quite. We'll see, man. <laughs> uh, Andrew. What interesting times. Thanks so much, Andrew, for Thanks coming for in today. Me. Right. And when we come back at the White House, oh, my God, everyone, what's going to happen? Justin Sink will tell us all about it. Covers the White House for Bloomberg this Politics. This is the Bill Press Show. Hey, everybody, this is Bill Press. Thanks for listening to the Bill Press and Friends podcast. And now, do yourself a favor. If you haven't already done so, subscribe to the show on iTunes. Here's what you do. Just search for the Bill Press Show. Then you can take us with you and listen in anywhere you go. And you'll get new shows from us as soon as they're posted. And one more thing. If you really enjoy Bill Press and Friends, please help us grow by telling a friend, writing a review, and giving us a rating on iTunes. It's so great to have you on board. Many thanks. Giving you everything you need to fight the Trump administration. This is The Bill Press Show. Live at YouTube.com slash The Bill Press Show. Donald Trump taking on uh, Republican senators this morning on his tweet storm uh, against that flake, Jeff Flake, and that weak Lindsey Graham. Hello, everybody. What do you say? It is the Bill Press Show on a Thursday, August 17. So good to see you today. As we boom out to you live from our nation's capital and our studio on Capitol Hill, uh, right in the heart of the action here. Well, usually it's the heart of the action. The action uh, has really uh, moved to uh, Bedminster, New Jersey, or to Trump Tower um, just for a few couple of weeks uh, during a uh, working vacation, as they're calling it, at the White House on the part of uh, Donald Trump, which means that um, Justin Sink from uh, covers the White House for Bloomberg Politics must be spending a lot of time either on Amtrak or the New Jersey Turnpike, I guess. Uh, yeah, yeah, uh, getting my getting my Amtrak rewards points piled up. So. All right, all right. Uh, Do you get as, hot dogs on the Amtrak car like Bill does, Justin? Uh, no, that's yeah, that's a bridge not, too that, far. Yeah, yeah, that is meat of indeterminate origin. <laughs> You haven't tried the Amtrak hot dogs? <laughs> I can't even be in the cafe car because of the smell of those hot dogs. It's like. It's, Look at Bill. Yeah, no. yeah, this is like Bill's favorite thing is eating a hot dog, eating a rat meat hot dog. Uh, Bill won't go to McDonald's, but he'll eat the yeah, hot dog no, on the Amtrak. He will take a dump all over guard. McDonald's and hate on McDonald's. But, baby, give him one of those hot dogs from Amtrak. Look at him. He's mad now. No, I'm not mad. I'm just saying you guys don't know what you're talking about. <laughs> He's going to go to the mat Listen, for Amtrak hot dogs. The, the hot dog 
and the uh, iced tea and the bag of chips, eleven dollars and fifty cents. I was about to say. I was it. waiting for you to be like four dollars. Right. What a bargain! Because you can get, like, yeah. You pay eleven dollars. at Nats Park. You pay eleven dollars for a hot dog. No, and the other stuff comes with it. <laughs> I was waiting for you to tell, like, and they were like five dollar deal. Yeah, eleven dollars. Yeah, no, fifty cents. <laughs> They just went up because they changed the kind of chips. All right. Well, I'll see you. <laughs> I'll see you, Justin, on Amtrak. Yeah. And we will talk about the news of the day, which, believe it or not, <laughs> the number one item <laughs> is not uh, a hot dog on Amtrak. But oh, first. Man. This is the Full Court Press. Just a couple of other stories making news <laughs> just in time for breakfast. Taco Bell has breakfast. released, yeah, right? Breakfast, breakfast of Champions. I'm heading for the cafe car. Hot dogs and Taco <laughs> Bell. Well, Taco Bell has rolled out their new menu item as an initial test run only in Michigan, but they're going to be putting it out into nationwide release. It is their Naked Egg Taco. Now, Taco Bell has made taco shells in the past out of fried chicken. They did it once out of a waffle. And this is just a fried egg. No, thank you. It's an egg that they have shaped into no. a taco shell no. that they're filling with no. potatoes, cheese, bacon, and or sausage. It's set to hit nationwide release. August 31st, you can get one of them for the low, low price of $1.99. No. I mean, but, you can get five of them for the same for price. For the same price. Yeah, <laughs> right. right? I know. But... <laughs> <laughs> Let me just, you know, every you do these stories every once in a while about Taco, re, I mean Taco Bell. They got new things all the time. Reinventing the taco. Just give me a plain old taco. Just plain old taco. Yeah. Preferably not from Taco Bell. <laughs> right. Yeah. Uh, something I think we can all agree on. Nutella is delicious. I yes. love Nutella. Nutella is wonderful. Well, <clears throat> thieves in Germany. Why isn't it bigger in the United States? That's I've a good never question. Understood that. That's a good question. <clears throat> well, thieves in Germany. Made off with a trailer filled with 20 tons of Nutella. What, and what are you saying? Nutella. No, 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 no. It's Nutella. Nutella. It is Nutella. Yeah. What, I always no. call it Nutella. Nutella. Hazelnut. It's Nut- hazelnut. Nutella. Nutella. <laughs> hazelnut. Sorry. Oh, hazelnuts? Are they hazelnuts now? I mean, in Germany. They, <laughs> they probably are. Right? Well, we're not in Germany. <laughs> anyway, thieves took 20 tons of Nutella. Uh, out of a trailer, police are looking for them. If you see them, uh, hit them up with any tips. Nutella. On your radio, on TV, and online, this is The Bill Press Show. Yes, indeed. He is at it again this morning. Donald Trump uh, tweeting, uh, taking on uh, two of his, some of his favorite enemies, namely his fellow, fellow Republicans, Republican senators. The targets this morning are Jeff Flake and uh, Lindsey Graham. Joining us in studio here on this Thursday, August 17, uh, Justin Sink covers the White House for Bloomberg Politics. Again, we're reaching out to you on YouTube, youtube.com slash The Bill Press Show. Uh, also on Free Speech TV, Coast to Coast, and out in the Chicago area. Hello, hello, Chicago on WCPT. So, Justin, the man we see in the White House is really the same man we saw on the campaign trail, isn't it? I mean, he really loves 
attacking people, uh, his critics, on Twitter. Doesn't matter who they are. Yeah. And calling them names. They were his Republican opponents during the primary. Now they're either Mitch McConnell or Jeff Flake. Uh, what did he call him this morning? The f- uh, Flake, Flake Jeff Flake. Yeah. yeah, Flake Jeff Flake. I get it. And, you know, this is, uh, this is an issue not – I think the president's supporters say that us here in Washington are too concerned with decorum or with, you know, kind of <laughs> – Glad handing with with politicians, you know, politicians will say that they disagree with each other behind the back or yeah. to public, but behind the back, they're chummy. And Donald Trump is refreshing because he has come in and sort of dispensed with that norm. The problem with that argument is that uh, Donald Trump ha- is become an island to himself. You, he is attacking the members of the Senate that he will need to pass. He has a, he has a three vote majority in the Senate. And he needs Mitch McConnell to organize it. And if Mitch McConnell gives up on Donald Trump or if he keeps alienating senators who he is going to need to to pass his legislation, he's not going to get anything done. And he hasn't gotten anything done with the exception of Neil Gorsuch. This is an interesting tweet from Mike Mamoli from uh, NBC News this morning. He says, uh, there is still a Republican majority in the Senate, but for how much longer is it a Trump majority? Which is like... I mean, that, that is kind of where we're getting here, because when you're the president and you have the majority party, they sort of follow your cues. And, and I, I think they're going to start breaking away from him. And we more saw and more. we saw a version of this yesterday with yeah. the business executives who Trump yeah. had brought in early in his administration. They'd lent him credibility as, you know, a fellow CEO. And and these people are really important, not because you know, the council meeting that meets every six months matters. It doesn't. Not because he's getting good ideas from these people. He's not. Everybody knows what business leaders want, which is fewer taxes and less regulations on their businesses. What matters is those are the people who go out and donate and spend money to help forward your cause, who call the congressmen in their district, who represent their businesses, who rally their employees behind legislative agendas, and there is this sort of sausage and making. Give them some credibility, too. Right, right. Yeah. Yeah. And there's this sausage making to politics that Donald Trump has had no patience for, and no willingness to sort of engage in. And by alienating pe- person after person, you know, healthcare obviously already kind of out the door. You have. Tax reform is his next kind of big priority, and infrastructure after that going to be an extremely steep climb. And that's putting aside, you know, the the big stuff, which is keeping the government open, not going over the debt ceiling, just kind of keeping things rolling as they are. So you were at uh, Bedminster, New Jersey, last last week. Yes. Um, and um, I have some great shopping mall suggestions for you guys if you ever <laughs> make it up to, to New Jersey. Well, I understand because, uh, you know, uh, just uh, dear Justin Sink, uh, Jordan Fabian from yes. The Hill was in last week and he was saying, you're 12 miles away from the golf. Yeah, yeah. You're nowhere near um, uh, Trump National at Bedminster, which is really actually pretty secluded. It's down. Uh, you know, a one-lane road, road essentially, or maybe it's two lanes, but it's it's really remote and and far away from everything. So the entire press corps and much of the White House staff is cooped up at a Marriott that is you know two towns over and adjoins this classic New Jersey mall that has you know every kind of 
just everything that you yeah. you think back to like your youth going to the mall. Like this is it. It's the, still there. The, yeah. The pet stores and oh yeah, the, they yeah. actually have an amazing empanada. Oh, uh, oh, an amazing New Jersey <laughs> empanada stand at that mall. I guess oh, it's nice. at a couple of them. So that that is my genuine recommendation. Uh, uh, so you were, you were there for the uh, fire and fury comments? I was. Yeah. So um, that came out of nowhere, <laughs> right? Yeah, and I, what's actually the interesting turn of the screw today is, of course, Steve Bannon, the president's advisor, uh, did this interview uh, last night, which he didn't really, I guess, realize was an interview. But well, he uh, says, but yes, but this was uh, with the American Prospect with Robert Kuttner, who's the uh, publisher, our editor, and uh, didn't I read that he called Kuttner? I mean, Kuttner wanted right, an interview, exactly. and he calls Kuttner. So, if, I mean. It, Somebody calls you to talk We're to you. We're on the you. record <laughs> until you say, can we go off the record and we make some sort of agreement. Right. Um, but, nevertheless, yeah. Steve Bannon in that uh, in that interview said, you know, realistically, there's no military option for North Korea that doesn't end up with, you know, tens of thousands of people dead. And, and this is correct. And I think that's why everybody was sort of taken aback when – you know, President Trump a week ago decided to really ratchet up the rhetoric. Um, you know, North Korea has been provoking the U.S. for some time now. It's been a deliberate sort of uh, campaign, and the White House is clearly upset by it, and they're clearly frustrated that the president's plan to get China to sort of impose more pressure hasn't paid dividends. But uh, yeah, I mean, we saw sort of ad hoc foreign policy happen while we were in Bedminster. But is this, this is really now, this is the MO, it seems, of the Trump administration. I mean, not just in this case, but where uh, he threatened, go back to China, right? They're manipulating our currency. We're going to take them on. There's going to be a massive trade war. They're going to regret it. And then he becomes lovey-dovey with uh, President Xi and forgets all about that. Now we're I'm not saying he's lovey-dovey with, with Kim Jong-un right now, but <clears throat> for a couple of days, it was Trump and then Mike Pence and everybody else, Nikki Haley, right. all the military options being considered. It was, it was almost like we we felt you'd pick up the paper the next morning, right, and we would have already dropped the right. nuke on North Korea. And now he sort of got moved away from that. And um, um, and the same thing with you know, these Obamacare subsidies, if you will. Yeah, I'm going to yank those subsidies away when the whole thing collapsed. White House announced yesterday, no, we're going to continue to pay the subsidies. So, you know, what's going on? Is there... I mean, I think that the president is has never been a politician before um, and is starting to realize that there are limits to your ability to sort of bluster your way into a situation. He is, for whatever criticism you have of him, uh, sort of a unique talent in his ability to market things and, and sell ideas and rode that skill all the way to the White House. The problem is uh, when you transition out of campaign or out of sales into trying governing, governing and legislating, uh, there there comes a point where people say, OK, well, you've you've told us this and now you have to figure out a way to, to deliver it. And if it's not happening, it starts to erode your credibility and coupled with, you know, a president with an eroding credibility coupled with, you know, real dislike from <coughs> Democrats and many moderates coupled with 
him now picking fights with every you know ally that he had going in, he, he's just increasingly kind of on this island by himself with without any kind of realistic path to getting stuff done. So you were not there uh, Tuesday at Trump Tower, correct? No, but we've all. Uh, I was it. watching. You yeah. were watching. Uh, and we also saw the uh, NBC shot uh, looking over to the side at uh, the new John chief Kelly. of staff, John Kelly, uh, standing there in body language, ever spoke loudly, it was that day, with his arms crossed, looking down, staring down at his shoes. And you could just imagine what was going through his head. Yeah, we have a, a story out today um, on our website just about how there's a real kind of crisis of conscience among a lot of top I saw that. You know, White House uh, aides or administration aides, um, Steve Nushin, the the Treasury Secretary, had to go to his staff yesterday morning and kind of say, hey, guys, I don't agree with how the, you know, what went down. I was there, but this was not what we expected or what we were planning on. I understand your frustration. All we can do now is sort of turn to our agenda and move forward. And, and Gary, that's, Gary Cohn looked the most uncomfortable. Yeah, yeah he's, uh, you know, multiple people that we talked to say that he's really upset with it. Um, but the interesting thing is that while all these people are happy to sort of signal um, through friends and allies on background to reporters that they're upset, we still, seven months in, have not seen a single administration official resign in, in protest over something that the president's done. And all of them seem to, you know, have a rationale for why they want to stay. For Gary Cohn, he wants to be chairman of the Federal Reserve and and give that a chance. For Mnuchin, this is a, you know, a chance. However, you know, tighter it's getting to to do a historic tax reform. And Plus, so, I, I think there's something else with Mnuchin. I think he loves the spotlight. He loves the glory. You know, you can yeah. see it. He's a he's a publicity hound too. Yeah. So. For all for all these guys, yeah. um, you know, as uh, sort of upsetting as as Tuesday's performance might have been, um, I, we're nope. not seeing any of them say nope. no. This White is, House yeah. aide has quit. Or, yeah, well, no, the only ones no who quit. have quit, it's be, been because somebody else has been hired into Ooh. a similar job, and they've you know. Yeah. The, no, I, I'm sorry. Over yeah. his remarks on Charlotte, yeah, exactly. nobody yeah, has yeah, quit. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Right. Yeah, we know the rice previous and the sugar right. spicer. That's that's it. Different factors, uh, <laughs> right? In, yeah, involved in that. So, to to what extent is John Kelly, uh, or is he, making a difference? And has he been able to um, introduce any discipline into a totally out of control White House? Well, I I do think that he has made some progress. Um, the Washington Post had a story today about how he's starting to reflect, restrict the flow of information into the White House. Um, what paper ends up on the president's desk? Uh, you also, you know, see just talking to people in the White House every day that there is new respect for chain of command for people working collaboratively and cohesively rather than the sort of fiefdoms that have long existed. But, you know, last week when we were up in Bedminster, you're talking to people, and even amid the the North Korea thing, there was kind of optimism that, hey, maybe this is like, uh, you know, a chance to reset things, a chance to sort of turn the page, we're getting our footing, and now we can actually turn to, to getting things accomplished. And I think this Charlottesville, you know, situation has been really deflating for a lot of people in the White House, because what it has shown is, you know, you can have a chief of staff who organizes everybody well, right. who g- 
gets rid of you know a lot of the bad apples who tries to do everything they can but if you've got a president who um responds in this way to a national tragedy or continues to consume information from you know Fox News exclusively rather than what he's being told by advisors, then you're going to keep <coughs> running into these types of problems. Right. Uh, and now, and Kelly, Kelly must have realized, I would hope, even before he took the job, that there are limits to what he can do, too. Right. Of course. Right. Uh, you know, and he kind of made clear that while he wanted <laughs> to make some of these changes and implement kind of that military discipline that he wasn't going to try to rein in, you know, what the president said, and he wasn't going to try to rein in what the president tweeted. Right. If, you know, any kind of fair look at what the sort of tough periods of the first six or seven months of the Trump presidency are, you can almost exclusively point to tweets that he's had that have created major controversies and headaches for everybody involved. No, it's all self-inflicted wounds by Donald Trump himself. To yeah. Donald Trump. I mean, there we shouldn't discount the staff infighting that that has existed yeah. and, and yeah. been a problem. But you know, it wasn't because Rance Priebus and Jared Kushner weren't getting along that the president, you know, tweeted that Barack Obama had wiretapped him, or yeah, that right. Jeff Sessions had to yeah. recuse himself, or you know, the million different things. And again, time after time, it, it goes back to the president's you know, gets frustrated, so, gets on Twitter, and, and causes problems. Uh, so to what extent, then, uh, should we greet the news that we now have a new acting communications director in yeah, the White House um, with Hope Hicks? Uh, I, you know, for me, that was a big yawn because I think the communications director is the is Donald Trump. And Well, uh, so I would say that there is – this, again, feeds back into the, the issue, which is that – it, for the actual kind of nuts and bolts of governing, you need somebody like a communications director who coordinates. This, you know, communications director, despite the title, is not somebody who you see publicly. Yeah, not right. somebody who you hear a lot from. Even not somebody us in the media necessarily talks to on a regular basis. Yeah, like with Dan Pfeiffer when he was there for Obama. Yeah, very seldom saw Dan. Yeah, Jen Psaki the same way yeah, because right. what they were doing was going out, getting allies, getting surrogates, doing the sort of talking points for uh, people on Capitol Hill, for people, uh, you know, columnists, those types of people, and saying, hey, guys, we've got this initiative, you know, this piece of legislation that we're going to roll out in 60 days. We want to start building our case. Here's how you can be helpful for doing it. The Trump administration doesn't have anybody doing that job. And Hope, who is a smart, you know, good person to work with is 26 and has no experience in Washington. So she does not have these connections to lean on. She's doing it in a temporary temporary role. But the fact that they have not been able to hire somebody to do that or do it for more than a few weeks or months just speaks again to a sort of unwillingness to do the sort of hard work of the presidency rather than the splashy get on TV, right, right. you know, exci- yeah. excitement of it. And lack of connection to, um, I hate to use the phrase establishment Republican, but sometimes it's, there's a value to having somebody who knows the lay of the land, right? Yeah. Around I, you. I mean, I, weirdly, politics is the one industry where we say experience is, a, is sometimes, a, you know, a bad thing or a liability, but 
there is, you know, there is an advantage to being able to see what, you know, know what the beats of, of how something plays out is. And I think yeah. it, it is it is only to the detriment of the president and his agenda that, that they don't have somebody who's doing yeah, that. And, and, and a very small little um, uh, example of this, um, way, way, way back, right, I ran a campaign for a Republican running for state Senate in California, Peter Baer. He won. You know, we got to Sacramento. You know, I was in my 20s, I forget, and, you know, he was whatever. He had never been in, served in Sacramento. Um, and we brought in a bunch of young guys, college guys, you know, for our staff, legislative aides. None of us knew anything right. about our way. And we hired a really, really experienced senior secretary who knew all the senators by name, you could know. Help out, yeah. Could knew where the restrooms were. Yeah, it's knew how the committees worked, yeah. knew I mean the whole thing. We needed somebody like that. We needed somebody who could tell us how this building works, how to get things done. Of course. Otherwise, of course. you know. Yeah. And um this White House doesn't have anybody like that. Reince Priebus we thought was going to be that person, but but he was brought in in a way that immediately sort of undercut him by making him right. essentially co-chief <clears throat> of staff with Steve right. Bannon and then Bringing Jared Kushner in, you know, a couple weeks later created three power centers within the White House, and that's just not an effective way to do it. And maybe it was worth the experimentation to see if, you know, all the presidents that had come before him had done it the wrong way. But, you know, it's one that clearly even the president has come to the conclusion didn't work. So um, your your take, we ask everybody who comes in, your take on uh, how long Steve Bannon survives. Well, you know, <laughs> when the president refused refused this week to say, "Oh yeah, he's here and he's not going anywhere." He's although the president, you know, has done that I think on multiple occasions. I am interested to start making calls this morning to see how damaging last night's interview was. If he survives this interview, I think Steve Bannon will be there for a while. I, I do think that the president has genuine affection for him. I do think that the president also re- recognizes that. Steve Bannon has a connection to a part of his base that, uh, or basically the the only base that remains uh, yeah. for the president at this point, and so I think all those those and that argument are, which we've heard heard from several people is that they fear that Steve Bannon could be more damaging on, on the, the outside, outside than on the inside. But you know, in that in the interview, uh, an American prospect, um, I haven't had a chance to read the whole thing yet, but he does say. He's fighting on a daily basis with people like Gary Cohn and others whom he doesn't think, doesn't agree with on the president's agenda, doesn't think they do. Um, he thinks that, as you pointed out, uh, there's no viable military uh, option uh, in North Korea. And he also said that these um, white supremacists that we saw in Charlottesville over the weekend are a bunch of amateurs. And he was much more critical of them than, uh, than, than, I'm the sorry, than Donald Trump was. Yeah, I think the who knows the, the and one unanswered question about Steve Bannon is what his interest is here. You know, is his interest to forward <laughs> sort of the populist <clears throat> agenda that the president um, talked about some on the campaign trail, and has he been stymied by the sort of establishment or corporate Republicans in the White House, or is he sort of an agent of chaos who yeah. finds the federal government and the presidency uh, as it's developed historically to be problematic. And so w- what he's doing here is trying to kind of burn the whole thing down. And so if the 
if generously the the answer to it is the first, which is that right. he is a populist that has been stymied. There is there's an argument that you know had Pre- President Trump come out and gone after infrastructure first, if he had listened to Steve Bannon on things like uh, a, an overhaul of the tax code that would actually tax the wealthy more than uh, yeah than they are now. We would be having we we might be having a very different conversation about how I, Democrats are concerned that Donald Trump is sort of stealing away permanently by the, the, I, the, their blue collar base. I, I think there's a lot of validity to that argument. I mean, I really do think he should have taken he got, uh, done infrastructure first, and he could have started off with a huge victory, bipartisan victory, and uh, and foreign policy is another and foreign example. policy yeah. also. Um, so, to what extent? Uh, Again, Justin Sink with us from Bloomberg Politics. It's Bloomberg.net, right? Dot com. Dot com. Sorry, Bloomberg.com. To what extent has Donald Trump um, damaged his ability to govern by his comments on Charlottesville? Well, uh, I mean, that's another tough question in that I'm – what Steve Bannon would argue is that anybody who is in race – already found Donald Trump to be sort of uh, beyond the pale and that the continued discussion of this topic only sort of emboldens people who find discussions of, you know, racial oppression in modern America to be alienating and overblown. So there is a theoretical argument that... um, that this kind of maintains the status quo. I do think that the loss of all those corporate leaders is going to be uh, is going to have a tangible impact on his ability to to pursue his agenda. And I do think that you know we saw a little bit before he started his vacation that Republicans decided, all right, actually, I'm willing to walk away from you. I don't think that you've got the ma- you know the magic beans that are going to uh, solve my reelection problems. And based on the statements that have come out and the way that Republicans have kind of openly rebelled over, you know, what he has said or tried yeah. to maintain. As, but uh, it seems to me this, I mean, let's face it, this is more, <clears throat> we, you know, with Barack Obama, we were both there together. It was always talk about, you know, race. It was always an undercurrent. Sometimes he talked about it, sometimes he wouldn't. But Donald Trump takes this discussion, has taken it a lot further, where he actually is supporting the theory that there's no difference between George Washington and Robert E. Lee. His attorney, you've, you know, John Dowd yesterday, re sent out an email that he received, and he sent it out to a dozen other people. I don't know whether yeah, Bloomberg yeah. got it, where it says, quote, you cannot be against General Lee and be for General Washington. There literally is no difference between the two men. I yeah, mean, that I mean, takes a discussion of race way beyond just... You know, well, I mean, it's interesting. It's, it it's, it's, it's another one of those like weird situations where Donald Trump goes so far, or his supporters go so far around that they mm-hmm. almost uh, collide with with the left. Where I mean, I think that there are people who would say that uh, you know, slave owners should also not be be honored. I, it is a argument that that is out there, and uh, the more sort of I think tricky or problematic things that that Donald Trump said were, uh, you know, when he he called these protesters walking through the campus of UVA with marches doing or with torches doing Nazi salutes, 
quiet and peaceful and uh, and very fine people. Yeah, yeah. And, and suggested that people who were participated in this march might not be racist. And, you know, yeah. if you watch video of it, it is unambiguous. The Jews will not replace us. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. The like, Jews will not replace us. Yeah, this is, no. no. Jews will not replace us! Jews will not replace us! So, if, you know, if you are a Civil War history buff who really believes that statues should exist and you show up at the rally and this is going on, you get out you get of there. That is not. Absolutely, get out of there. Yep. There, there. <laughs> nobody was just there at right. that point. You know, with uh, a concern over no. you know a no. city council statue decision. <laughs> right. So, um. So I think that that's that is something that but, will that will be. But, but once again, Trump shows no signs of. Uh, Backing down, right? You know, he doubles down. He doesn't back down. Right? Yeah, and I mean, this is something that that his advisors have said, you know, on every issue going forward. It's his natural instinct, and it's worked out for him in the sense that he's now president of the United States. Yeah, but it's, but every other signal at this point is is kind of showing that that he's in some real trouble here. Right. So what's up today? So it's a it's a relatively quiet day. He's back at Bedminster now after uh, going to New Jersey or going to New yeah, York right. and staying at Trump mm-hmm. Tower for the first time since he's been inaugurated. Uh, no public events. So I, I, I do think sure. that there's been an effort after what happened on Tuesday to sort of limit yeah. press access to to the president for a little while. As you say, you want to get on the phone and uh, to see, see about the Steve Bannon fallout yeah, from exactly. the from the interview. All right. Always good to see you, Justin. Thanks so much for coming in. Thanks for having me. Meanwhile, what's happening at the DNC? Bouncing back, uh, the new CEO of the DNC, Jess O'Connell. Joining us next here on The Bill Press Show. Our booking team, and they're good, uh, reached out to Republicans of all stripes across the country today. Let's be honest, uh, Republicans often don't really mind coming on Fox News Channel. Follow us on Twitter at BP Show. This is The Bill Press Show. Same great show, new great channel. Stream live video at youtube.com slash the Bill Press Show. Hey, here we are on Thursday, August 17. Hello, hello, hello at the Bill Press Show. Coming to you live coast to coast uh, on YouTube, youtube.com slash the Bill Press Show on Free Speech TV and out in the Chicago area, adding in uh, the progressive voice of the greater Chicago area, WCPT. Hello. Great to have you with us. Thanks for joining us as we come to you live from our nation's capital, Washington, D.C., and our studio right here on Capitol Hill, brought to you today by the International Brotherhood of Teamsters, as good men and women. Of the Teamsters Union under President Jim Hoffa, we all live better because of their good work, and you can find that out at their website, teamster.org. Here we go. Starting off a Thursday, it is time to rise and organize. That is the new... uh, Calling for the uh, Democratic National Committee, DNC CEO, brand new on the job, Jess O'Connell, joining us in studio. Uh, hi, Jess. It's nice to see hey, you. Well, nice to see you, too. Congratulations. Thank you. I appreciate it. you got a big job ahead of you. Big job. What's Rise and Organize all about? Rise and Organize. Uh, so this is really in response to 
President's Trump, uh, President Trump's um, uh, comments over the last week, starting with Charlottesville, um, you know, like all of your audience, all of us, we've watched sort of in horror over the last seven days. Uh, and so we wanted to make sure that folks' voices are heard. And so we're asking folks to rise up and make sure that Republicans are held accountable, uh, not just to disavowing hate, but to actually disavowing the haters. And we're asking folks to uh, call their elected members uh, to rise up and have their voices heard, call their Republican elected members and ask them to uh, disavow Donald Trump and uh and his green light, basically, to white supremacy, and also uh, to call out all of those that he's hired that support white, white supremacy and racism. Um, and, you know, the Republican response to this has been uh, either silence or, uh, you know, maybe a tweet here or there, but we've known who Donald Trump has been for a long time. Um, and so folks are going to be rising and organizing over the next few days. We've got a weekend of action all mm -hmm. over the country. We have about 160 <laughs> events planned nationwide uh, at resistsummer.com. Folks can, if they want to get out, talk, talk to folks this neighbor is to the, neighbor. It was all part of the summer it's of part resistance. part of the summer of resistance. That's yeah. right, summer of resistance. Um, but we want to, people are, are ready to take action. And so we want to plug them into activities that will be happening this weekend through Resistance Summer. Um, and again, all, uh, all of the state parties, all of the Democratic state parties all over the country are uh, having activities this weekend that they can plug into to make phone calls, door knock. Um, but also we'll be doing some things online that make it easy for folks to uh, call their elected officials and ask them where they stand. Ask them, uh, uh, go to town halls. There's at least 82 town halls that will be happening. Uh, and ask these officials where they stand on Donald Trump. Uh, people want to plug in. How do they do it? Yeah, resistancesummer.com uh, will give them a list of events in their areas, or they can contact local Democratic state parties. Also online, um, we've got a whole bunch of tools uh, around uh, Rise and Organize, and people can speak out. We'd like them to use that hashtag um, because we think we did a whole bunch of calls yesterday with a lot of our progressive allies and the state parties to talk about this campaign. You know, one of the things I think we saw is – uh, tremendous unity around healthcare and the healthcare fight. And so we feel like this is a moment that we have to raise our voices again. And we think there's a lot of unity around this. Uh, and so using the hashtag rise and organize, talking to neighbors and look, if you can't, uh, uh, can't attend an event, you can chip in and help folks that are organizing as well. Do you find, um, a sense I get is that people are hungry and eager yeah. and looking for a way to plug in? They, absolutely they are. I mean, I think you know, one of the things that we've seen is the, the level of organizing uh, and energy uh, and anger and frustration that's out there is unprecedented. And uh, we have been, you know, Chairman Perez, when he came on board, we've been organizing from day one. One of the things that he's talked about is organizing 365 days a year in every single state and every single zip code. That's something that we have to do better at uh, as a party. And it's something that we're making a large investment in. Yeah. Uh, in our Every Zip Code Counts program to ensure that we're providing resources on the ground to state parties to find ways that folks can plug in in a meaningful way and take action because we have so many allies and groups and folks that want to plug in in ways that they never have before. And so we are showing up for every single fight. There's not one that we're going to miss. Uh, and you're right, we have to provide more opportunities. And we have to do that both online and off. 
Um, some folks, uh, you know, this conversation is happening in both arenas. It's happening at the grocery store. It's happening in homes. It's happening in businesses. It's also happening online. And so we're going to provide the tools that allow folks to have their voices heard and be a part of this movement. Which is so important. And it used to be too often um, back in the days where um, the, the parties, that, you know, as, as you know, I'm a former uh, state chair of California. Um, but at the national level or the state level, parties would they'd get all geared up for a big election yep. and then just kind of go into hibernation, exactly. right? And then six months before, they'd organize again, right? And yep. um, no, you got to be organizing all year long, all the, around, around the clock. And it also gets to uh, Howard Dean's 50-state strategy, Absolutely. which is there's no state where we don't have a shot. There's no Absolutely. congressional district, state house seat, state senate seat, governor's race where... You know, we, we shouldn't be uh, – we have to have candidates and we have to be com- competing. I think that the lesson – you know, one of the largest lessons learned, I think, over the last few years for Democrats is exactly that. It's that we've got to invest everywhere. We've got to be organizing, not just in the October of, a, of an election year, showing up once at folks' churches and, you know, homes and talking about the election. We've got to be there – every single day for the fight. And we've got to be talking about and connecting the dots on the issues that matter most to folks right now, what's keeping them up at night. And I think in terms of the 50 state strategy, you know, we've made an historic investment uh, in the states early. We're calling it our Every Zip Code Counts project. It's essentially the the new, the new, every zip code Mm. counts. We're not leaving anyone behind. And we are, uh, we are committing both financial and technology and staffing resources to all of the state parties. We're also offering up a $10 million competitive grant program that will allow the state parties to be entrepreneurial and innovative in the ways in which they're going to be doing organizing and allow us to partner with them in providing them resources to reach out to the base, to reach out to rural communities, uh, and to uh, and to reach out to young folks, all of which we know we've got to engage day in and day out, not just you know a couple months out. Now, I would say the energy that's out there, um, you know, this hasn't stopped. One of the things you probably have gotten this after the election, everyone said, "Well, it's going to die down. It's going to die down." It hasn't, right? It started with the marches, yeah. went yeah. into the town halls, went into the fights on the nominations. It's into this fight now that we're having um, about. I mean. Really, look, a moral fight, not even a political one. Yeah, but um, look at, yeah, and look at the Obamacare, the protests are right. at the Capitol on, on Obamacare, right? Right. They, so I think you know this this fight isn't ending. We're going to be having this, and what we have to do, I think, as Democrats, is make sure that we are connecting the dots for folks, that we are connecting people with the issues that they care about, and the Democrats that are running in their communities, so that they can speak for them uh, and get elected, so that we can actually change the policies that we all care about and fire some of these Republicans. Right. Um, yeah, <laughs> yeah this is, they can find another job somewhere. We don't have to feel sorry for them. And and. Um, the as important as it is, and everybody would like to see that happen in 2018 to take back the House, to take back the Senate. Gubernatorial um, races. Yeah, we may have to wait until 2020. But the other races that are so important in 2018 are the gubernatorial Absolutely. races and the state House races, yep. state Senate races, because of redistricting, which comes up in yeah. in 2020. Let's let's be honest. That has not been a focus. Uh, of the Democratic Party, of the DNC for the last eight years. Under President Obama, there were some 950 uh, state legislative seats that flipped from Democrat to Republican. We now control maybe, what, 
35 or something? Yeah, it's, a big, it's about it, a third of the country. Yeah, yeah about yeah, a third the states, of, the, yeah. of the states. States and uh, gubernatorial, yeah, yeah. state legislatures. Um, what's being done about that? Yeah, well, there's a lot of work. I mean, I do think um, that's got to be a focus, it, right? That's, it, it is a focus, it's and, the I, base. and I and it's also absolutely. our our, our uh, um, farm squad, if you will. Yeah, we we know how important. Look, a lot of these the fights, bench is the, absolutely, the bench, the pipeline. All, you know, these fights also these fights are happening at the state and local level. Democrats, uh, state and local Democrats, are all that stands between uh, women, working families. Uh, LGBT communities, all that stands between them and Republicans who are trying to legislate against them every single day. Uh, and you're right, it needs to be more of a focus. I come from Emily's list where I was the last three years. And, you know, just last cycle alone, we elected nearly 280 pro-choice Democratic women at the state and local level. So that's a focus that I really bring to this work as well and understand as we look at uh, all of the states. And I think we've even seen the commitment of the DNC to these local races. Through our Resistance Summer program, we did grants out and organizers to some of these local state races where we've just had some victories, particularly in rural communities. In Oklahoma, we won two of the state and local Mm -hmm. races that were up. New Hampshire, we won a really important one. Uh, And in Iowa was the most recent one. With Phil Miller out there in Iowa. With Phil Miller. And, you know, and that was in you know, deep red country territory with, that Trump had won by 20 points in 2016. Yeah. So I think, you know, you Great see victory. a very early commitment right now from the DNC to invest both in resources and in organizing and in any help that we can in pretty much every race where we think we can compete and add value. And um, and so that's already happening. And you mentioned the gubernatorials. That's an enormous focus for us right now. We obviously have in what, about 80 days, we've got New Jersey and Virginia mm-hmm. on tap. The DNC has announced uh, a $1.5 million commitment and resources and finances to help win in Virginia in particular, our neighbor here. And, um, and given that our hearts and minds are on Virginia after this last week as well, it's more important now than ever. We see what a difference the leadership makes in these states, not only for redistricting, but in real time. Uh, and so totally. the redistricting right. battle is also happening. President Obama and uh, Attorney General Holder are uh, 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 leading an effort around redistricting as well that we are partnering with and others to make sure that we have the funds and resources to fight back on that front. Right. Uh, so if you want to uh, be part of this uh, movement and, uh, you know, get out and uh, feel that you uh, are really making a contribution this weekend, go to resistsummer.com uh, and find an event where you can plug in somewhere near you. And I've got to say, you know, we're, we're such big fans of Emily's List, and I've known uh, the leadership and worked with the leadership of Emily's List sure. since the very beginning. Ellen Malcolm, uh, terrific. Ellen Malcolm. Yes, absolutely. If you can, we partnered together when I was state chair of California, yeah. and Ellen Malcolm, uh, on, on, on first beginning with the, when Kathleen Brown, I think, was running for governor of yeah, California. Yeah, yeah. She's uh, a force. But a force. If, um, if you can be... Half as successful at the DNC as you were Thank at you. Emily's List. I appreciate that. Then um, we'll be okay. We'll be okay. In, in, uh, we Democrats will be uh, will be in good shape. Uh, what what is being done about uh, the message? Because obviously we've got uh, the poster child for bad government, bad policies, bad person, right in Donald Trump. But it's not enough just to go around and say how bad Donald Trump is. 
Yeah. Right? Absolutely. Yeah. Con- so couldn't agree more. Look, we so have, what are Democrats offering? Yeah, look, we have to do both, right? I mean, we have to hold Republicans accountable, which is a big part of what we are doing. But we also have to offer an alternative vision. And I think we see a lot of fresh faces and energy rising up even right now in the last few days around uh, the Republicans, uh, you know, inability to do one of the easiest things they could ever do, which is to denounce white supremacy and racism and bigotry and denounce the leadership of their party. We see Democrats being unified and strong in that. We see Democrats unified and strong in the healthcare fight as well. So there is unity in the Democratic Party around these issues. And, uh, you know, as we move forward in terms of message, look, uh, we see leadership around message in terms of a better deal for Americans, living wages, uh, uh, you know, raising wages, lowering costs. These are important things that are actually Americans are thinking about when they go to bed every night, thinking about jobs in the economy. And we're going to see uh, some uh, as as they as the members come back uh, to Washington, D.C. in the fall, we're going to see some legislative policies that come forward around that, uh, around a better deal for Americans. And I think that's important. But look. That's not the only thing we have to do. We also have to provide inspiration and hope and a path forward during what is really troubled, divisive times. And uh, part of our job at the DNC is to uplift uh, Democrats at all levels to make sure that folks know who's fighting for them and to make sure they know what the options are. And as we talked about already, to show up for every fight, we want to show, uh, not just tell. We think that's an important part of uh, our strategy moving forward. Okay. Uh, so... Um Yesterday, the uh, in light of uh, Donald Trump's comments about Charlottesville, the uh, person I really very seldom ever hear from, but the new chair of the Republican National Committee, Ronna Mc, Ronna Romney yeah. uh, McDaniel, um, she was on uh, ABC News with uh, David Muir, uh, and here's what she says about the white supremacists. Our party has, across the board, said this is unacceptable. We have no place in our party at all for KKK, <laughs> anti-Semitism, race, racism, bigotry. It has no place in the Republican Party. There is no home here. We don't want your vote. And uh, were both sides equally responsible in Charlottesville? When it comes to Charlottesville, the blame lays squarely at the KKK and the white supremacists who organized this rally. So... That's exactly the opposite of what Donald Trump said. That's right. And that's why that's why Chairman Perez is calling the chairwoman out, because this is uh, exactly the misinformation that is meant to confuse Americans about where Republicans are. And exactly what she said is untrue. Uh, and and if it were true, then we would know exactly where Republicans stood on Donald Trump. Uh, Steve Bannon, Gorka, and all of the people who are clearly supporting and giving a green light to white supremacy in this country and stoking racial fears and hate. Uh, And we are asking all Republicans to very clearly denounce not just the hate, but the haters, the people who are. And there and by the way, uh, uh, there, there are the Republican silence on this around the both sides is deafening. Uh, and it is up to Americans. Uh, we will do our part, but it is up to all Americans to hold their elected officials accountable to this. And you see, again, strong leadership and unity from Democrats calling this out, calling it for what it is, racism, supremacy. Uh, and there's no place for this in this country. This is the easiest thing we will ever <laughs> ask Republicans to do. We will have a fight on many policy issues moving forward. This ought not to be a fight. This ought to be clear. And we are asking the chairwoman of the Republican Party to take some responsibility and accountability, not only for uh, this hateful rhetoric that's coming from Republicans, but for the leaders themselves. 
This is her party. And, uh, you know, history will judge the Republican Party in this time right now. This is a moral issue, not just a political one. <laughs> I think that I think that's the big takeaway here is like no matter what, where we end yeah. up, you're going to have to look at all these people who have gone to the mic, put out statements and have um, enabled this behavior. And that's being generous. Enabling is generous. Absolutely. Right? Yeah. Encouraging this Encur- behavior. Encouraging <laughs> at their worst, yeah. but enabling yeah. it is... I mean, is, if she meant what she said, it seems to me, she would have to uh, to add, and Mr. President, you are wrong. Correct. Yeah. Correct. And, and Donald the- Trump, you need to... You do not speak for us. She, she won't say that. Mitch McConnell won't say that. Paul Ryan won't say that. None they, of them will. They won't. And I think before we go to the polls in November of 2017 and before we go to the polls in November of 2018, <clears throat> voters ought to know very clearly uh, if every Republican up on the ballot in their state for any position where they stand on Donald Trump and this issue and if they agree with him or if they don't and what they're going to do about it if they don't. The president's new at this. Uh, that's true. I'm sorry, Paul. I keep forgetting. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, so, again. Does uh, Jess- he know that? <laughs> Jess O'Connell with us, the CEO of the Democratic <laughs> National Committee at Democrats.org. I ask everybody, don't, uh, don't take this personally. I ask everybody who comes in this question. Who's the uh, leader of the Democratic Party today? We have a bunch of leaders of the Democratic Party, and that's what's great about our party. We have leaders from the grassroots up that are leading movements around all of the policy issues that we care about. We have leadership. Uh, look, uh, Leader Pelosi ha- has been a leader on health care. We would not have the ACA, but for True. Leader Pelosi uh, and something near and dear to my heart, uh, women's rights, uh, all of the things that she's fought for, LGBT rights over the years. Uh, uh, Senator Schumer has done an incredible job. I mean, again, Uh, You know, this is an important time where we need all types of leaders. And here's why. Uh, When we are not in power, the experience and leadership that uh, Senator Schumer and Leader Pelosi bring to this fight is incredibly important to help maneuver the levers. Um, But we've got a lot of fresh faces coming up out of the Democratic Party. We have uh, lots of folks who are standing up and speaking out. And our job at the DNC is to introduce folks to a bunch of them. We've got uh, great folks that are coming. But also the okay. grassroots that we've talked about is a really important part of that. And that they, these are leaders of the Democratic Party. This Our party is rich and diverse, and that is our strength. So you count among you would count among those leaders. Uh, just uh, taking off a few names: Elizabeth Warren, absolutely, Cory Booker, yeah, absolutely, Kamala Kirsten Harris, Gillibrand, Kirsten Kamala Gillibrand. Harris, uh, oh. Amy Klobuchar, uh, Shira Brown, uh, Maggie Hassan. I mean, we've got a tremendous slate. Bernie, listen, Bernie Sanders, absolutely. Bernie Sanders plays an incredibly important role in uh, motivating a whole group of people, particularly around income inequality and issues of economic justice. And uh, I really respect uh, not only the work that he has done there, but how he has done that. And uh, all we are united uh, in our shared values around all of these fights. Uh, and that is our strength. And that is what will help us defeat Republicans in the coming elections. It's interesting that you mentioned, <coughs> and I'm sorry, I don't have the article in front of me, but income inequality, which I think is so important. And President Obama uh, once identified it as the defining issue of our age. Yeah. And and that gap just keeps getting wider and wider. Uh, where I saw the other day that someone of the, from the third way mm. was giving a speech saying to Democrats, it's a mistake to talk about income inequality. No, we got to get back to the middle because there, mm. for a lot of people, 
this is not a big issue. Yeah, well, for a lot of people, this is not a big issue because they're part of the top 0.2%, mm. I would say, mm. right? Yeah. Uh, but to me, it brought back, oh, my God, we're still in this um, almost Bernie versus Hillary or progressive yeah. versus establishment fight, you know, which Democrats have just got to get behind them, I think. You know? Yeah, we do. Look, I think Democrats have to do a better job talking about the economy <laughs> and jobs. And we have to acknowledge and we do acknowledge uh, that uh, the the way jobs uh, work in this country today, the way that families work in terms of their economics, you have two breadwinners in most families nowadays. Uh, things have changed. And uh, we have issues that are important to address about how work gets done. We have forward moving things like automation and uh, the, define, uh, the, the decline of some of the manufacturing jobs that we have to address for some of our communities. Uh, and we have Democrats who are working very hard on these issues, but absolutely we need to do a better job connecting that. And I am confident that as we move forward into the coming months, that's a conversation that we need to have. Now, we need to be able to break through this nonsense uh, that is happening with the Republican Party and the things that they are talking about every day to have that conversation that really is on most people's mind. But I, I do think... Uh, uh, with all respect to Third Way, I do think that the gap between the rich and poor is as big as it's ever been. And the uh, the productivity has continued to increase in this country since World War II. But we are no longer sharing in uh, those wages and in that wealth. And that's not fair to well, working it's families. Re- it's real. And it, it, right. And yeah. it, it impacts everything. Of course. Every aspect of people's lives from being able to help their kids get to college, to just be able to keep food on the table, to maybe a little vacation break and everything. By the way, I do have to say that among leaders of the Democratic Party, certainly uh, neither one of us meant to exclude a Chairman Tom Perez. Of course. And Vice Chair Keith Ellison. Of course. Yeah. Of course. Now, if you're able to keep keep uh, Keith Ellison in line over there, uh, <laughs> you're doing a better job than we have here. We've tried. But, I... you know, he's, he's a wild man. <laughs> But he, he's look, a great we, man, though. He's we, a good friend. He's, he's great. I One of the exciting parts of my job is actually to be able to work with Chairman Perez and Co-Chair Ellison because yeah. they what they both bring is really important. It is. And it's important that you're there, too. Thanks, Jess, for coming in. It's Democrats.org. Resistsummer.com. See you tomorrow. Show.